You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org. I will be reading from 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verses 4 through 9. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, you may be seated. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Redemption Hill Church. We do have Redemption Hill kids for ages two to four, two to four. So if that serves you, you're welcome to go. Thank you for those who are serving in Redemption Hill kids this morning. Also, if you're in service, we do have totes and kids sermon notes. And per usual, if you fill out kids sermon notes, I got a a box of goodies up here. You can find me after church and uh, if your parents allow it, you can pick from that. Well, today we begin a new sermon series called The Grace of Salvation. The Grace of Salvation. So we finally finished the Sermon on the Mount, 30 plus weeks of preaching through Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And now we're heading in this direction. Um, There's a method to my sermon series, Madness, and I want to tell you why I think this sermon series is helpful for our church. First, after spending so much time I mean, a lot of time, more than what most people do when they go through books of the Bible. Uh, after spending so much time about talking about what it means to be a citizen in the kingdom of God, I think it's necessary to preach and how, again, remind ourselves, how do we get into the kingdom? What is that? What's that all about, right? Uh, if you're anything like me, you need to be reminded of the gospel over and over and over. And when you lay your head on a pillow, you need to remind yourself then. And when you wake up, you need to remind yourself of the gospel. Now, a couple things before we get into the sermon. I do not want there to be any confusion. The Bible, after talking about uh, what it means to be in the kingdom of God, the Bible rejects this works righteousness, the idea that how you behave merits the golden ticket to be saved, right? It is by God's grace that a person is saved and conformed into the image of Christ. You'll hear that word a lot over the next several weeks, grace. The grace of God for the Christian is like jumping into the deep end of the pool. You jump into the deep end and the water completely surrounds you and it gets into everything. I mean, you just can't, there's no mistake where you're at. You're, you're in the water and it's surrounding you. That's the grace of God for our lives if you're a Christian. So, for several weeks, we're going to put this hyper-focus on the grace of God and salvation. A second reason why I'm excited to preach this sermon series is that the gospel of Jesus Christ takes broken people and makes them whole. I want to help you see from God's word that your life is like a fine piece of china. And it's been chucked to the floor. And our lives... Yours and mine, before knowing Christ, is hundreds of pieces just shattered about. 
you've tried over and over, perhaps, putting those pieces back together, and you failed. Try to get the super glue, and for some reason, the super glue doesn't seem to stick the pieces together, so you get the Gorilla Glue, and you kind of upgrade and upgrade, and realize you just can't do it. You tried. And perhaps you're tired. Perhaps the grace of God was realized in your life at the age of 4, 14, or 40. Regardless, I know it is essential to remind ourselves of the power of God's grace. Not only for today, for today but for tomorrow. Over and over, by grace, God has taken those broken pieces. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you've certainly experienced this. He has taken those pieces and one by one, he puts them back together. As complicated as those pieces are. There's grace in all of that. The image and likeness of God, Genesis 1, verses 26, 27, right? Which was broken at the fall, Genesis 3, is being restored because of the grace that is found in knowing Jesus Christ. And now, God the Holy Spirit is currently at work Right now, in your life, Christian, he is currently at work to continue to restore that broken image. I have one more reason to preach this sermon series. I want there to be no mistake that a Christian's salvation is because of God alone. And it's for God alone. Like, I'm just playing my cards up front. (laughs) Like, if you're wondering, hey, what do they believe theologically? We're going to get a, a real good idea of where we land really quickly, like right now. Make no mistake about it. You do make choices. And we'll walk that fine line as we talk about it. But I do want you to have a God-centered understanding of your life. Within Christianity, there is a temptation to speak of the Christian life in anthropocentric terms. It's all about me, and it's all about what God can do for me. We treat God like a, like a genie in a lamp, and he exists to grant me my wishes. And that's nonsense. You exist for God. God does not exist for you. Before I even get to the sermon, I'm tempted to go on a rabbit trail, but I'll restrain myself, exert a little self-control this morning. Just a little. Because I will be personally tempted during this sermon series to point out the flaws of the radical individualism within the church, making the gospel of Jesus Christ about man. That's my temptation, just to go after that. However, a way for you to put to death radical individualism is for you and for me to have a bigger vision of God. And that is what I want to present to you from the Bible. I want you to have a bigger vision of God and a bigger vision of his saving grace, mercy, and love for you, for his church, and for his creation. So instead of Sean Powers throwing rocks at what the American church has done with the gospel, I'm going to resist that and say, no, let's just focus on God. Because I think that's more convincing, actually. I have a few more thoughts before I get into the sermon. The trajectory of this sermon series will follow a particular order. 
in theological terms, I would be following the Ordo Salutis. It's not English. The Ordo Salutis is Latin for the order of salvation. Now, in one sense, following an order makes sense. I cannot talk about sanctification until I preach on faith and repentance. I will not preach on glorification the time after a person dies until I preach on what? Adoption, right? Therefore, an order does matter to a certain degree. Just like a bunch of links in a chain, there are individual links that are connected to other links. Each individual link matters, but it's connected to the whole. You, think of, you can use the imagery of a puzzle as well. You can have one piece, but that one piece is connected to a bunch of other pieces. So here's the order I will be following in this sermon series. Today will be effectual calling. Put it on the, on the screen for you. Regeneration, that'll be next week. Faith and repentance. What does that mean in the Christian life? Justification, adoption, sanctification, perseverance, union with Christ, and glorification. If you're like a theological nerd, like, you know I'm speaking your language right now. <laughs> you like this. Uh, if you're not, that's, that's fine. I'm not going to mention that again. But just so you know kind of the trajectory, um, I hope that each sermon is life-giving, obviously, and that you'll find ways to apply. Even though we're kind of getting some theology, our theology actually has a tremendous amount of application. It's just not this intellectual exercise that we do, but it infects and impacts how we live. And I hope you'll see that. And I do pray that each sermon enlargens your view of God. All right, one final point of this very long but hopefully helpful on-ramp onto the intersection. One of my chief companions during this sermon series is this guy, John Murray, his book, Redemption Accomplished and Redemption Applied. If you want to learn more, if you want to get into the weeds, I encourage you to get that book. You can come find me afterwards, and I'll send you the, the link to that book. But just so you know, oftentimes when I go through a sermon series, I try to have a companion with me. Uh, when the Sermon on the Mount, we had Martin Lloyd-Jones, as you're aware, well aware of. So, All right, finally, can we pray? Let's get into it. Heavenly Father, we thank you of your goodness and kindness toward us. For us who are, who are here, saved, knowing it is a work that you have done, that you have accomplished, and which you've applied. Now help us to think well. Help us to drink deeply of your word. We come submitting to your word, knowing it is speaking to us even to this day. So be with us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're a parent... You know what it means to call on your children, right? You may, may need to get their attention or you're going to ask them to do something. I remember one, one day when one of my daughters was young, it'll be nameless, and we were at the park. After spending some time at the park, we were headed to the car, and uh, she was about 20 feet from me. And we have a rule at the Powers House at that time is that you don't cross a parking lot or go into a street without... Uh, your, your hand, uh, holding your parent's hand, right? And I call, and I said, hey, don't move. And she's like, at the cusp of the grass and the pavement. And I kid you not, in slow motion, like a slow motion movie, she looks at me, and she goes, <laughs> and I'm calling at her, don't move. And there she was, putting her foot in the road, looking at me the whole time. Never forget that. My story reveals several realities. First, I called upon my, my daughter, right, by name. Second, my daughter had a choice. She could obey 
and uh, stay in my good graces, right? Or she could test the limits and disobey. She clearly chose the latter on that day. Now, I think all parents can relate to this story, right? And with this story, we will see congruencies and incongruencies with God's call upon a person. By the time I'm done this morning, I hope you'll see what is similar and what is, more importantly, what is unique about God's calling. The first link in our chain, or the first puzzle piece, is seeing God's grace and salvation as effectual. Effectual calling. Here's what I mean when I say effectual calling. The redemption of a person is only because of the grace and power of God. God's grace and power are effectuated or put into action by Him calling you to believe in Jesus Christ. I use the word only because you could not call yourself to God. Either God called you or He did not call you at all. Take a look at 1 Corinthians 1 verse 9. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. These three words, these first three words, God is faithful, are connected to the faithfulness of God throughout all history. He's faithful to keep his promises. For example, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they made a covenant in eternity past to redeem and save a people to himself. God the Father calls, God the Son enacts the plan of salvation, and God the Holy Spirit confirms and seals those who have been called. We sang about that this morning. He will hold me, hold me fast. After the triune God created the world, we have been witnessing the fulfillment of God's covenant promises. We are witnessing the effects of God's calling. The bottom line of verse 9 is this. God the Father decreed that you, Christian, would have a relationship with the Son. This Greek word for called is kaleo. Kaleo kaleo also means to summon. Let's say you received in the mail uh, that dreaded letter to serve on jury duty. Right? Maybe some of you get excited over that. Most of you don't. That letter is a way for the court to summon you to come. Right? We We need you at the courthouse. When you receive the summons, you actually do have a choice. Like, you could not go, cause more trouble for yourself, perhaps, or you show up. The opposite is true with God. When God the Father summons you into fellowship with His Son, He is, in a sense, showing up at your house, putting you into the car, and taking you to the courthouse. Now, analogies fall short all the time. Real quick. But the point is, God's call is irresistible. Irresistible. If the salvific call of the Father has gone out, then God the Holy Spirit will drag any wretched sinner kicking and screaming to show them the grace, mercy, and love of God that is found in Jesus Christ. Man, I'll level with you. I went kicking and screaming. I really did. 20 plus years ago. 
God does not call and wait for you to respond. A conversation does not take place for you to hash out the details. I mean, maybe in real time, in your own life, that seems to be the perspective. That's not God's perspective. If God can be rejected when he calls somebody, when he summons someone, if that could be the case, what does that say about his power? Further, God's grace becomes limited if we hold on to one of the the levers of his grace. We limit God's grace then. John Murray, my companion, gets to the point when he says, we do not call ourselves, we do not set ourselves apart by sovereign volition any more than we regenerate, justify, or adopt ourselves. Calling is an act of God and of God alone. You cannot, I'm going to say this in humility, hopefully, you cannot find a passage in the Bible that suggests the opposite of what I'm saying. At least I haven't found it. The biggest searchlight will not find a passage that indicates that the effectual calling of of God is somehow synergistic. God calls, period. And I want to suggest that radical American individualism, throwing one stone, just a small one, American radical individualism is often the force behind a person who wants to say, I chose God, or I decided. God called, and guess what? I responded. For example, for all the good that resulted from the Billy Graham movement, especially in the late 20th century, for all the good that resulted from that, it did, not, it did undercut, probably really unintentionally, God's sovereign and effectual calling on a person because the choice was transferred hypothetically from God to the individual. Again, a lot of good stuff came from that movement. I know many people who came to know the Lord through that ministry. But you kind of saw that change of hands. Who's really doing the saving here? Did you say the song in the prayer and you walked down the aisle? Or did something happen in eternity past? Was there a call that took place? When God calls a person who is the object, who is the object of that call then? Jesus, right? God calls his people to have a relationship with the Son. There's another Greek word in verse 9 that is helpful to know here. It is koinonia, which is translated as, some of you know, fellowship. Koinonia assumes a very close and intentional and intimate relationship. So God the Father does not call a person to him or herself. God does not call me to me. He does not call a person to live the good life. God does not call a person to receive personal enlightenment. God has set his electing love on a son or daughter and calls them to have a relationship. God the Father invites wretched sinners to receive all the gracious blessings that are found in Jesus Christ. I just want to go to like Ephesians 1 right now and read about the heavenly blessings that God gives to his sons and daughters. As Mark Taylor notes, fellowship means much more in the Greek than it does in the current English idiom. In Pauline usage, the term carries the idea of participation, sharing, expressed also in, in Christ. Now, I've got a few questions to ask about God's effectual calling. There are questions that most people ask when this topic comes up. Or if you go to 1 Corinthians 1, verse 9, you're kind of like, okay, I've got questions about this passage. Here are three. First, 
when did the call happen? Second, who called? And third, why does God call you and me? Here's the important passage that explains when God called his people. We read in Ephesians 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Here's the important verse. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. We also read in 2 Timothy, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in his, in his suffering for the gospel by the power of God, verse 9, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purposes and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus. When? When? Before the ages began. Listen, I don't know how to read these passages other than God called his people in eternity past. In love, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit made a covenantal agreement to call, elect, and save. After the Lord um, had saved me in my early 20s, I was confronted with this doctrine while actually reading the Gospel of John. At that time... I knew nothing of concepts like justification, sanctification, or effectual calling. Didn't, didn't go to a church that would use those words. They wouldn't preach on that. All I knew, truly, at that time, is that God radically changed my life. That, I, that much I did know. As I grew a little bit, I read these words from Jesus, of Jesus, from John 10. Our Lord teaches I'm the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also. And listen, look at that. They will listen to my voice. They will Listen to my voice. Like, how much choice do you think you have in that? Zero. They will listen to my voice. I love the simplicity of the words of Christ. Consider one of the thieves that hung next to Jesus, right? Jesus hung on the cross and flanked at both sides were two thieves. One of these thieves hanging next to Jesus would not have known the doctrines of effectual calling justification, election, sanctification. But he didn't know that. All he knew is that he was going to spend eternity with Jesus. That's what he knew. God the Father had called on our nameless thief in eternity past and ensured his name would be written in the book of life. We don't know his name, but God does. And the other guy hanging next to Jesus would spend eternity in hell. We read in Ephesians 1, 2 Timothy 1, that our God called or decreed his people before Genesis 1-1 became a reality. <laughs> I think that's mind-blowing. In the beginning. Well, hold on. <laughs> There's other things that took place. And then we read in John 10, in real time, the manifestation of God calling his people before Genesis 1-1. 
So do not be fooled. Jesus knows by name those whom he called to himself. Now, I, I understand. I totally get it. That some people in this room will disagree with me in this point. I understand. I get it. You, you get into circles and it's like Arminianism versus Calvinism or whatever. If you disagree, guess what? You're welcome here. Absolutely, 100%. Uh, but here's my encouragement for you. Continue to wrestle with Scripture. Go to the Bible. Just as I want to continue to do that as I wrestle with these particular doctrines. I mean, we go to our church website. We have an entire chapter in our confession of faith called Effectual Calling. So we have the theology, and below that document are all the scriptural references. <laughs> go to that and wrestle with that. Regardless of where, where you end up, growing in the knowledge of Christ, verse 5 of 1 Corinthians 1, is a part of the Christian journey. I have one more thought about God's effectual call and when it took place. If you're buying what I'm selling, guess what? You have the opportunity to marvel at God's sovereign plan for your life. I mean, the reason why it was so right for Ryan to kind of walk through Ephesians 2 is because of the reality that you were a child of wrath. Oh, but God. And now, on this side of the, oh, but God, we can marvel at God's grace and salvation. We just be like, I don't deserve that. But God. Now on to the question, who does, who does God call into a relationship with Jesus Christ? There are two answers to the question of who. The Bible says that the church is the bride of Christ and Christ is the bridegroom. Uh, this imagery informs our response of who has been called by God. It is true to say that the effectual call of God is for the what we call the universal church. The bride of Christ is for all the, are, are all the faithful followers of Jesus Christ worldwide, forever, right? Since, since Genesis 1-1. We will not know until heaven who is a part of the universal church. The local church, albeit imperfectly, is to be a smaller ref reflection of the bride of Christ. In today's passage, for example, Paul writes to the church at Corinth. He writes to First Baptist Church Corinth, right? Or Presbyterian Church Corinth. It was a smaller and physical reflection of the bride. But here's the deal. Not all people in the local church have been called by God. And that's a sobering reality. It really is. Church attendance does not save a person. Going to church is good, right? God commends it, but it doesn't save. Growing up in a Christian home is good. I do everything I can to, yes, indoctrinate my children in the Christian faith, but that does not save. Only God saves. So all people who are part of God's universal church have been called by God, and you find these people in smaller communities that we call the local church. That is the first answer to the question of who. The second answer is more personal. Within the collection of local churches, there are people like you and me. God, in his grace and mercy, has called individuals to be in relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. You can read in verse 9 and say, Oh my goodness, God has indeed called me. God, in his covenantal love, has lavished his grace and mercy upon my life. That is a very appropriate reaction to 1 Corinthians 1, verse 9. You can truly sit and marvel at the goodness of God for calling you by name. You can rest in his grace. Because of that, if you had a tough day, 
you had a tough week, maybe it's been a tough year, you can rest in his saving grace. Like still fighting that one sin, got one word for you, grace. Got to fight, but there's grace. Do you still see half of those pieces on the floor? Grace. A Christian is given an ocean of grace while traversing the life, this life. The grace of God that saves is also the grace of God that sustains. That's what we have to continue to bear in mind. So that was the who, and a little bit of application to the who. Now why? I've stated my case of when and who, now why. If you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, why did God the Father call you to salvation? What makes you so special to receive his grace and salvation? The short answer is you do not deserve to be called by God and to receive his grace. That's the short answer. Remember, grace is being given something you do not deserve. You do not deserve to be called by God or to receive all the downstream effects. Compared to every other image bearer of God, what makes you so special? Here is what no one is willing to tell you these days. Apart from God, I'm not special. Right? I and you do not deserve God's grace. You and I do not deserve to be summoned by God to be a recipient of his mercy and love. And why is that? We have openly rebelled against God. It all started in the garden, Genesis 3, Garden of Eden, and it continues to this day. Sin has infected the soul, the life, and the entire world. Because of sin, a man or woman openly rebels against God every single day. Before God summoned you, you openly and willfully rebelled against God. Right before, you, before, before that happened, right? That, that call happened and you were saved by God, you were openly rebelling against God. That's important because you cannot understand the grace of God and salvation until you understand the depths of your sin. The prophet Isaiah knew all about the depth of sin. He said, we have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like polluted garment, like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. Romans 3.23 says, All that sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Because God is holy, you do not deserve to be summoned by God. You do not deserve his grace. What you deserve is God's scorching wrath. You deserve to be contemned, condemned and cast into hell, just like one of the thieves next to Jesus. Now, how does that make you feel? Not great. I do not know a person who feels good about the prospect of being cast into hell, even if it's deserved. However, it is only when you come to terms with what you deserve that you can comprehend what you have received. The grace and mercy of God. 
Let me say that again. It is only when you've come to terms with what you deserve that you can comprehend what you've received. And you can rejoice in that and thank God and worship him and praise him and sing songs about his grace because you know who you were and what you deserve. It's only after you see your sin as rebelling against God will his effectual call on your life truly make sense. So if you are a Christian, why did God the Father call you into fellowship with the Son? I know I've been throwing a lot of scripture at you, but here's another one from Philippians 2.13. It is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purposes. We read in Matthew 5 that God has good works for you to do so that others may see and glorify God. We read at the end of Ephesians 2 that God has predetermined works for his people to do. So God has good purposes for you, Christian. These purposes are good because what they come from God. God the Father has willed you to be a recipient of his grace, and now by grace you do God's good purposes in his kingdom here on earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And what purpose do you serve? We see an answer in 1 Corinthians 1. God's people have a testimony, or they're to be a witness to the world. Right? First, we, we share our testimony of God's goodness to us, And in that testimony, as we witness to the world, we tell people about Jesus. Let me tell you about the goodness of God in my life, about his grace. We have that testimony. We want to share that because that testimony ultimately is not about you, but it is about God. When you've been summoned by God to have fellowship with Christ, you are to testify to the world about the life and work of Jesus Christ. So God does not call you without purpose. God the Father effectually calls his people to himself by giving them the grace of salvation, again, through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, if I've stopped right there, I think I would have provided sufficient evidence to support my claim that God is the author of a Christian's calling, right? But 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 to 9, tells us even more to support my claim. In verse 9, we read that God the Father calls a person to Christ, right? We've covered that. In verse 4, we read that it is God who gives grace. Only God the Father gives saving grace. And then in verse 8, we read it is God who sustains the one who is called until the end. So, do you see a pattern, (laughs) right? Do you see the pattern? Do you see the one who is at work in the life of a Christian, in you, Christian? It is God from eternity past and in the present and into the future, God is at work in the life of his sons and daughters. Now, some may object, and perhaps these are good objections. Does this mean that God is like Oz? You know, watch The Wizard of Oz, and he's kind of like behind the curtain, pulling all the levers and fooling everyone? Or is God like winding up a toy and then stepping back, and the toy is going to do its predetermined thing? The answer is no. Wrapped up in the will of God, to call is relationship. God does not give grace to autonomous robots. God does not need to sustain a wound-up toy until the end, that being the second advent of Jesus Christ. But God's grace and his steady hand upon your life should show you the depths of his love for you. 
And his display of love began with a covenant of redemption agreed upon by the triune God that resulted in a call. It's pretty remarkable when you step back and think about it. God is love. And in eternity past, before Genesis 1-1, he was already displaying his love. I had stated at the beginning of this sermon that this sermon series is for really the broken and the needy. And for people like me who know they don't deserve God's grace. I want to tell you more about why this sermon series, which is a long-form way of saying the gospel of Jesus Christ, is for broken people. First, the proud will not accept a gospel that requires nothing of them to be saved. Right? Think of it this way. There's nothing more important than knowing God, I think. Nothing. Some people find it hard to accept that they cannot contribute anything to their salvation. But there's a reason why God has designed salvation this way. We read in Ephesians 2, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift from God, not of works. So that no one may boast. No one. If you offer an ounce of energy to salvation, that opens the door for you to boast. However, if you know that you offer nothing to your salvation, you know what you, you, know you get to do? You get to boast in the Lord, right? That's 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Right? We boast in the Lord. Look what God has done. You could, you could run around and scream it and shout it all you want. Look what God has done. Not what Sean Powers has done, but God has done. So, no one can boast unless it's in the Lord. Second, you can bask in the grace of God because he has called you to know Jesus. I understand that every single week I preach to a bunch of other people that have sinned and continue to sin, right? I know I preach to a bunch of people who know immense suffering. I do. I know this. I know I, I preach to a bunch of people who've been damaged because of other people's poor choices. But I also know that I preach to a bunch of people who find wholeness because of the grace of Christ. I know that I preach to many people who rejoice in what God has done in their lives. I know I preach to many people who cling to this passage from the book of Romans. And I'm going to quote it at length because it's worth it. After all, if you've been called, this passage is like a balm for the broken and needy. So if, you, if you, you know that about yourself, if you're looking at the floor and you're like, Oh God, why have not all the pieces been picked back up? This passage from Romans brings so much. It's so soothing. It is that balm. What shall we say then of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Now here's verse 35. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor the height, nor the depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ in Christ Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's pray. You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org.